First, tiptoeing his 270 pounds across the squeaking floor, Tommy at last risked opening the door to Corinne's nursery. Should have turned off the light behind me, he realized too late. A sliver of yellow living room light cut into the pink wallpaper and curtains of the baby's room. The light caught Suzanne's eyes where she sat rocking the baby on her shoulder. All he could see of Corinne under the thick pink blanket was the round top of her head and a wild tuft of strawberry blonde hair sticking up. The cold reflection of the light in Suzanne's angry gaze was enough to make Tommy step back. The baby had cried and coughed for almost twenty minutes, and that always made her panicky. Marvin's waiting on me, he whispered as an apology, his voice like a croak. Suzanne's eyes widened as she looked at him as if to say, Be quiet. Then they narrowed, and he caught her nod. Ever since they started dating, she'd known about how he had to unload trucks for Dad's friend Marv over in Earlville for a couple nights every month. She understood, but that didn't mean she liked it. She hated being left alone with the baby, especially when she had an early shift at the restaurant the next day. Love you, Tommy whispered. Then he closed the door as quietly as he could, with hands that now quivered with bottled-up energy. He nearly ran the three steps across the pink carpet and one step over the yellow linoleum. The only thing that stopped him on his way out the door was the barking cough of his six-month-old. The sound tore at his hammering heart. He paused, hand on the cold knob to the door leading outside. I can't keep doing this. I'm going to fall apart. Tommy stood there, waiting for another cough waiting for his heart to slow down. After half a minute, neither happened. But he'd take that. Finally, he pushed open the door with shaking hands, closed it silently behind him, and ran down the steps into the cold night toward his car. It was going to have to be side roads and pedal to the metal all the way to Westhoff's land. Nobody better try to stop me before I get there. Of course, when you go for a drive in the town where you've lived for all but one of the twenty years of your life, you can't help but get noticed by everyone in that town. As soon as he pulled out onto Main Street, Tommy saw Mickey's rusted-out blue pickup ahead of him. Despite his best efforts to stay back and avoid their rear views, both Mickey in the driver's seat and Crunch in the passenger seat stuck their hands out to wave at him, and then give him the finger. Tommy did the same back to them and kept driving. When they pulled over to talk, he didn't look over at them. Instead, he hunched low, blinking sweat out of his eyes and gripped the steering wheel tight. I haven't hung out with them in forever, he thought. Wonder if they still have those weekend-long PlayStation marathons at Crunch's house. Tommy kept his driver's side window rolled down, sucking in the cold air, and then stuck his entire head out of the window for a painful, blinding, sobering second. Slow it down. You're almost there. There's still time. Two more turns, and he hit a gravel road. The back wheels of his Grand Am spun, 
pulling the little car into a swerve that he drove out of without even having to think about it. He goosed the gas pedal and kept pressing it until the little six-cylinder engine hit seventy. The car's revving drowned out Tommy's tortured breathing. Above him, the night sky opened up with a blanket of stars almost bright enough to drive by without headlights. The turn for Westoff's back acres was lit up like a movie theater entrance to Tommy, though all the colors now bled into white, black, and gray. His vision was going wide on him, the world opening up to him, coming clearer and fuller, as his eyes, always the first thing to change, drank in the moon, fat and white overhead. He slammed the car into the turn without slowing, and rocked down the half-mile dirt lane leading to the fifty unused, overgrown acres of old man Westhoff's land. His nose was full of...